Well, I'm really excited to continue this series, Live Like a King. Man, we want to learn how to live like a king. We're looking at the life of King David, and he was the greatest king in the history of Israel. And today we're going to continue this study as we talk about how to fight like a king. What a great topic for Father's Day. Don't you want to learn how to fight like a king? You know, some Christians become too militaristic sometimes, and they act like it's, it's up to us, and we've got to win the battle. We know that, that, that God is the one who fights our battles, and he is the one who brings victory. But on the other hand, I think sometimes some Christians become too passive, and they just want to sit and wait on God to work everything out. But I want you to know God wants to work it out through you. Amen. And we have to be willing to fight. There's a reason that Jesus is returning on a white horse with a sword to win the battle. God's called us to fight, and it's a spiritual battle. It's not a battle against flesh and blood. We're not enemies with one another across political divides. Our enemy is a spiritual enemy, this, the devil who wants to steal, kill, and destroy from you. And God wants to equip you to fight and win this spiritual battle. So we're about to jump into the story of David and Goliath, one of the most epic stories in the battle. I've never preached about it before. Um, it's going to take more than one week. There's just too much to cover in 1 Samuel chapter 17, but we're going to start out today learning how to fight like a king. Starting in verse 4, it says, Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of Israel. He was over nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and thick as a weaver's beam, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed 15 pounds. His armor bearer walked ahead of him, carrying his shield. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. This passage describes a battle scene that is kind of taking place and about to take place. There's really two armies lined up in the Valley of Elah in the Middle East. Uh, the Philistines on one side, they're pagans. Uh, they worship false gods and idols, and they've been very oppressive to God's people, the Israelites. They're professional soldiers. They have superior weaponry. The Israelites do not have professional soldiers at this point. They've got farmers with pitchforks on the other side. And Goliath, this giant by anyone's standard, comes out and is taunting the Israelites. I'm going to mess you up. He's probably telling your mama jokes, you so fat jokes, all that stuff, right? Cursing them out, telling them they're number one with the middle finger all that stuff. And the Bible says that God's people, the Israelites, were deeply shaken and terrified. They had a problem. He was nine feet tall. And in their minds, Goliath was like this insurmountable problem, this overwhelming situation. They didn't know what to do. And there's been a reason that for centuries now, churches have focused on this story as a great metaphor and example of how we can face challenges 
and problems in our life. It is a historical account that actually took place, but we can draw some really valuable principles out of this account that apply to our lives today. And oftentimes, we can be overwhelmed by our problems. And I know that that's a reality of life. And so I think about Goliath as a representation in many ways of the problems, the challenges, the situation that you might be facing. And you need to remember that if you get too focused on your problems, you could end up like the Israelites, deeply shaken, terrified, right? And that's not what God wants for you. So let me ask you, who or what is the problem in your life today? Who is the person that you're struggling with? What is the situation that you might feel overwhelmed by today? If you're doing really great and you're like, man, I don't got any problems, awesome, enjoy this season. And you can be an encouragement to someone else who needs it. But for those of you who are like, yeah, I've got some situations that I'm a little overwhelmed by, I hope that this encourages you. Let's just start out with like a simple uh, kind of experiment. Uh, everybody can participate. Close one eye, uh, look at me, put your finger up and point it towards me, all right? Now then bring it back, start bringing your hand back closer to your face until it gets about, don't poke yourself in the eye, all right? I'm not liable for that. And you'll notice that as that finger gets closer to your face, it will almost or completely block me out, right? Like your little tiny finger, this little digit here, can almost or completely block out a overweight six foot one man, okay? Like that's pretty amazing, right? And that's a, a really helpful illustration that when you get too close to your problems and too focused on your problems, they will start to block out your perspective and keep you from seeing the whole picture. Your problems, when, when you focus on them too much, will prevent you from seeing all the goodness that God has already brought into your life, all the favor that he is showing you, the whole picture. So we have to be warned not to get too focused on our problems. And I think the Israelites, they were too focused on this Philistine giant, Goliath. He came out, they were all looking at him, this one nine foot tall dude who was scary and they felt terrified. I wish they would have had someone to encourage them and say, guys, he's just one guy, he's a big guy. You know, but we can team up on him. And I want to encourage you today and how to fight like a king. I want to give you four principles, and you can write these down if you're taking notes. They might help you in your journey, walk with God. Here's the first one. Goliath doesn't get to name you. Goliath doesn't get to name you. This stood out to me that as I read this passage, Goliath comes out. He's taunting the Israelites. He says, I am the Philistine champion, a professional soldier, Hercules. And you are just the servants of Saul. You're just the servants. You're just the slaves of a soon-to-be-deposed king. Goliath wanted to put upon God's people a title of poverty and servility. You're just servants. You're just slaves of the king. You're not enough. You don't measure up to me. I'm the Philistine champion. What are you even doing out here? See, he wanted them to be afraid, and so he spoke this death over them. You're just servants of Saul. I don't want to be a servant of Saul. Saul's not even a great guy. See, he wanted them to be afraid, and he wanted to speak these words of fear and stir it up in their hearts. And I want you to understand, you have an enemy as well. 
Maybe you're not going to face a real literal giant today, but you face a spiritual enemy and he wants you to be afraid. Do you know that? If he can get you to be afraid, then he can be successful. That's why in the word of God, it says over and over again, do not be afraid. Do not fear. Fear not. Because the enemy knows his only hope to win the fight against you is to keep you out of it. His only chance to stop you is to keep you from getting started because victory is available through Jesus. We don't fight for victory, we fight from victory. So if you will step up, if you will go forward, if you are willing to move in the boldness that comes from God, the enemy knows He'll be defeated. So he says, you're just servants of Saul. And there are people in your life who will say, you're not good enough. You're not equipped for that. You don't have enough education. You're too old. You're too young. Whatever it is, right? And our spiritual enemy, he'll try to speak spiritual words like that. He'll say, you know, you're just a sinner. You, you, you do things in private that if people knew about, they wouldn't even like you anymore. Uh, we know what you did. You're stupid. You don't, have, you don't have what it takes. They'll say things like, you're just a divorcee. You're just the daughter of an absentee father. You're just the son of a drunk. No one is going to look to you and follow you. You don't read your Bible enough to tell people about Jesus. You can't do it because the enemy knows that if you step up, he will go down. So you've got to be on guard against that. You've got to know that Goliath doesn't get to name you. God has already named you. And in this series, this series, Live Like a King, we're trying to remind one another as a church family that you are royalty. And that's not just hype. The Bible says you have been adopted into God's family through Jesus. You have been made sons and daughters of God. You have been made co-heirs to the throne of Jesus Christ. You are kings and queens. The Bible calls you a royal priesthood. In other words, you're royal and you have access to God. So you've got to learn to live like a king. And in the life of King David, we see a lot of great values that we can emulate, but he is not a perfect man. So we need to allow David to continuously focus us towards Jesus, the king of kings, in whom we find everything that we would ever need to be and everything that we will ever need. Jesus, right? So we're going to live like that. We're not going to let the enemy speak death over us to give us titles of servility or poverty. We're not just servants of Saul. We're sons and daughters of God. Amen? Amen. So this goes on for quite a while, 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says. 40 days and 40 nights. And then this shepherd boy, David, a teenager, shows up on the scene. And as he shows up, he hears Goliath taunting God's army, the Israelites, the people of God. And, and so I just want to point out that I don't think that's a coincidence that this went on for 40 days and 40 nights. Because there's a pattern kind of like that that I see in the Bible over and over again. And I've kind of mentioned this before. You want to be careful that as a Christian, you don't become too obsessed with like numbers in the Bible. Some people do that. They get into, it's called numerology, and they start looking for like codes and patterns in the Bible, and that is whacked, okay? Everything that you need to know, God makes perfectly plain and clear in his word, okay? There's no hidden codes. It's super plain. And if we would just do what is plainly stated, we would have everything we need. God doesn't need to make codes in the Bible. We barely read it enough as it is, all right? But you do start to notice patterns. So there's this pattern of like 40 days. And 40 days, this pattern, 40 days or 40 years is often associated with a time of trial 
and testing. Trial and testing. And so we see this again and again. After 40 days, the floodwaters receded and Noah peeked his head out of the ark. After 40 days, Moses came down from the mountain while the Israelites were waiting and he brought the word of God. 40 days, Jesus went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and then he came out and started his ministry. 40 days and 40 nights, Goliath taunted God's people. And this serves to remind us that you will go through seasons of trial and testing, but you need to remember salvation is coming. Redemption is coming. There is an end in sight. Hang on. David came to the scene at the end of 40 days and 40 nights. If you're in the middle of trial and testing, no, salvation and redemption are on the way. 1 Samuel verse 17, or chapter 17, verse 26, excuse me. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Okay, so David shows up. He hears Goliath taunting the Israelites, and he, he's getting upset, right? And you can sense his frustration. He's not happy about this, this situation. He had been sent to the battle lines by his father, Jesse. Jesse sent him to the, the battlefield. Hey, go find out what's happening. He gave David some food to bring to his older brothers, and Jesse wanted David to get the news about what's going on. You know, there weren't Twitter feeds in that day. You didn't know what was going on. If you wanted to get a message, you had to send a messenger, right? You didn't get to use the messenger app. You had to send a messenger. So David was sent by his father, shows up, hears these taunts, sees Goliath. What is all this? Who is this guy anyways? And then he asks a really interesting question. What will I get if I kill that giant? I really like that. I really like, now really, if you're more spiritual than me, right, you might just be like, he should just do it out of the goodness of his heart because he loves the Lord and his reward is the satisfaction of knowing that he served the Lord. Look, I'm not as spiritual as you. I, I think this is a good question. What will I get if I kill that giant? And he finds out, he finds out. Uh, King Saul said, um, whoever kills that Philistine will get to marry the daughter of the king get to marry a princess, and then he and his family will not have to pay taxes ever again for the rest of their lives. So I'm sure David was like, oh, okay, get to marry, marry a princess, marry the king's daughter, marry into a royal family. I'm sure that's got some benefits. That's a good reward. Uh, not paying taxes, that's a great reward. I'll take that. You can even keep your daughter. I just want to be tax-free for the rest of my life. That sounds amazing. I would have done it just for the tax-free status. And listen, if you've ever asked yourself, like, what do I get? What do I get if I serve God? Is it really worth the squeeze? Like, what's the point? What, what's the point of going to church every week? What do I get if I stop doing the things that make me feel good in order to follow Jesus? That's a great question. And it's not a bad question. And God designed you this way. He knows that you're gonna ask questions like that. And that's why Jesus Christ, the Son of God, continuously told his followers, here's what you're gonna get. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will give you eternal life. Follow me, and I will bless you. Follow me, and I will supply all your needs. Follow me, and I will give you the strong marriage that you desire. Follow me, and I'll show you how to raise up children that serve the Lord. Follow me, and I'll give you a purpose for your life. 
So there's a lot of reasons, right? I would have been like, you had me at saving me from eternity of hell and fire and brimstone. Like I would have been in just for that alone, but sounds like there's a great package of benefits. So there's a lot to be gained. David is asking around, what will I get? What will I get if I, if I kill that giant? And, and I don't think he even believed it because the Bible says he asked three groups of people, right? What do you get if you kill that giant? Daughter of the king, no taxes. You don't say, that can't be right. No, that's not Hey, what, what do you get if you kill that giant? You get to marry the king's daughter? And you don't have to pay taxes just for killing that giant? That's it? That's it. Oh, no, that's it. Hey, what do you get if you kill that giant, right? Like, he just goes on. And then, like, word gets out that this young teenage shepherd boy is asking about fighting the giant. The Bible says his oldest brother gets mad at him. That sounds like something an older brother would do. His oldest brother, Eliab, he's like, what are you doing? You're stupid. You're full of yourself. Why are you even here? That's what he said. And, and I think he was probably a little bitter, right? Because if you were here previous weeks, you learned that Eliab had been passed over when the prophet Samuel came to anoint the next king. I'm sure Eliab thought, well, I'm the oldest. It must be me. Give it to me, Samuel. I'll be the next. And then he went right by him and chose his youngest little brother, who now shows up, teenage shepherd boy, right out of dad's basement, Dorito dust on his fingers. What do I get if I kill the giant? You just need to know that if other people don't believe in you and the calling that God has placed on your life, you shouldn't be surprised about that. And you don't need an impressive resume in order to be used by God. You don't need the right diploma or the right certification. Education's valuable, but you don't have to have the experience. He was just a young shepherd boy. You don't have to have all the answers. He didn't even know what was going on. You don't have to feel like you belong here in order to make it happen. He didn't belong at the battle lines, but we have to just know God is looking for willing vessels. He's looking for faith-filled, spirit-powered men and women who will be used by God. Men and women who will just say, God, use me. I just want to be a tool in your hand. You supply the power and I'll just be used for your glory. You supply the power and I'll get a front row seat to a miracle taking place. I'll be used by you. That's what David was. When people dismiss you, that's a good sign that God might be getting ready to do something through you. God loves to use the broken vessel. He loves to use the weak. He loves to use the person who's been despised and rejected because he gets the glory. So the less qualified you feel, the more likely you are to be used by God. You know that? The less credentials you have, the more God gets glory when he does great things through you. So don't be surprised if other people aren't excited about what God's about to do in your life. All right? He loves to show off. He loves to use those who don't seem qualified. So I love that David, his frustration kind of comes through and, and that really is fun for me and encourages me. He says, what's this? Like, who is this guy? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God, right? These, these men who were at battle were cowering, afraid of the giant. The teenager shows up and like, what are you all doing? He's frustrated, he's upset. And I think we need to learn from that, that, that frustration can be helpful. Frustration sometimes helps us focus. You can sense David is annoyed and frustrated, but that is oftentimes an indicator that God is trying to draw your attention to something. Frustration, 
Frustration. Don't think of frustration as just being negative. Frustration. Like I get frustrated when, when my clothes start to get too tight. And so I start to think a little bit more about what I'm eating, right? That's a benefit. I get, I get, I get frustrated when, when I don't feel like doors op, open up enough to me and I'm not given enough, right? And so I, I think, man, I need to like read more and prepare myself. Maybe, you, maybe you've been frustrated, like you didn't have opportunities for a certain type of job. And so you went back to school. Frustration can be helpful, right? God can use it. And I want you to understand this. This is the second principle. Spiritually, your frustration brings focus to your mission. Whatever bothers you might be the burden that God is calling you to carry. The thing that bothers you, I'm not talking about your pet peeve, like I hate it when people chew with their mouth open. I'm saying it bothers you because you know it bothers God. The fact that you notice that, the fact that it frustrates you, God might be trying to focus you towards that issue to use you as an instrument to solve that problem and to meet that need. Your frustration, the thing that is bothering you might be your burden and you might feel unqualified to deal with the problem. You know, I'm not, I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough resources to meet that need. Listen, Jesus says, my burden is light. When he's the one who gives you a burden, he will also supply the strength to carry that burden. You just have to be willing to go forward in faithfulness. So don't be one of those people who's always looking for the church to solve the problem that they witness and see. Oh, okay, I'm about to talk about some things. Don't be one of those people who come up to me and say, Pastor Ryan, I saw a problem. The church needs to do something about it. We need a program to fix this problem. And I'm gonna look at you and say, if you see the problem, you might just be the program, right? God has coded our church in such a way that there would be a program to meet that problem. And the fact that you see that problem means he might want to use you to address it. That's why you're here. But Pastor Ryan, the church should do it. No, no, no. Look at what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. It says that pastors and teachers, leaders in the church, their job is to equip the saints, to equip the called. I'm talking about you. To equip God's people to do the work and build the church. I'm just a cheerleader. God wants you to build the church. He wants you to do the work of ministry. He wants to work through you to save your neighbors. He wants to work through you to raise your children. We're here to resource you. The church family is here to cheer you on and pray with you and support you. But don't look to the church to fix the problems. You are the church. You are. This church has largely been started out of frustration, as I think many churches are. Because a person feels a burden that comes from the Lord to reach a community, to reach the lost. And you all know lost people, don't you? You all live with lost people uh, around you in your, in your neighborhood. You work with lost people. Some of you have lost people in your family. And God wants to work through you to meet those people. And so God, he will raise up a local church. That's the plan A for the kingdom of God advancing, the local church, right? And so this church was started out of frustration. I'm frustrated. I'll be honest with you. I am frustrated about the number of people in our community who are lost, without hope, who don't know Jesus, who can't find satisfaction. I am frustrated. It bothers me. 
And I think that God is looking for a group of Christians to be righteously indignant like David and say, what is this? What is this situation? Like he said, who is this Philistine? I think we need to say, what is this? I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with living in a community that is one of the least church-reached cities in America. I don't want to sit around and watch more marriages fall apart. I'm tired of watching single moms have abortions because they feel hopeless like no one will support them. I get so angry when I see kids who hate going to church because it's boring. God doesn't want boring churches. He doesn't want legalistic churches where people are judged when they come in the door because they don't have their acts together. He needs a church that's filled with truth and grace that preaches the truth in love. God wants us. He wants us to be frustrated about it too. It's only going to rise on the backs of God's people being frustrated and standing up to fight this battle. We as God's people have to say, I'm not okay with this situation. I'm not going to just sit around and do another Bible study while my neighbors slide into the pit of hell. I want God to use me to preach the gospel. I want to bring the good news to my workplace. I want to be a light in the darkness. I want to see this situation change it cannot stand. Frustration will fuel the fight. Come on, do you believe it? And I'm grateful that we get to see the example of David who was frustrated. And that caused him to do something. It caused him to do something. So King Saul catches wind that David is asking about Goliath. And he's talking about fighting him. And he calls David to... The principal's office in verse 32, you see this. He's like, what are you doing? Verse 32, David says, don't worry about this Philistine. I've got this. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There is no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. And if I was like filming this scene in Hollywood, David's walking out of the tent, he's like, he is, right? Like that's just how I see it playing out. And I'm not surprised that Saul wasn't exactly encouraging to David in this moment when he was determined, I'm gonna do something about this. This cannot stand. And Saul was like, don't be ridiculous. You're just a boy. You're just a boy. You're not qualified to enter into this fight. That guy's a professional warrior, and you're a teenager. He is a champion, and you're a shepherd. If you go out there, you're going to get killed, son. Like, that's what he was basically saying. And I, I want you to understand, you're not alone if you've ever felt like people don't see your potential and your value. Saul would have been nice if he would have been like, you got this, son. You're going to do it. You can make it, but he didn't. He wasn't encouraging at all. He's like, you're just a boy. Don't be surprised if other people don't get excited about God's calling on your life. 
it might not always happen. You might have a few people who do come alongside and encourage you. But don't be surprised if other people aren't fired up about the fire God's put inside of you. There's a reason he called you. You have to be faithful and trust him to follow where he leads. You don't have to wait for permission to fulfill your purpose. God has called you. He's given you a mission. He's given you a purpose. And you might have to start out a little bit alone in a sense. You might not have all the support you wish you had. Someone might say, you're just a boy. Saul tried to put David in a box and define him. You're just a boy. And look, people are gonna try to put you in a box. And here's what you say. If you're gonna put me in a box, make sure that box is big enough to hold the living creator of the universe. Because he's with me everywhere that I go. He's moving in my midst. He has sustained me in other difficult situations. I'm not just a boy, David says. I'm a child of God. I'm walking in the favor of God under the anointing of the spirit of God. David said, make sure you get the whole picture. Get the whole picture. I've experienced God's faithfulness. I've already witnessed God's goodness in my life. When I was out in the fields as a shepherd boy during my season of waiting, do you remember we talked about seasons of waiting when God will prepare you for your future battles? Yeah, you remember that? David said, when I was just a boy out in the shepherd fields waiting for my chance, waiting for my time, I experienced some things. There were times when other scary enemies showed up on the scene, lions and bears and now giants, oh my. And they came after my sheep, but I'm a shepherd, so I defended my sheep. And I would, I would kind of wrestle with those. And if they came after me, I would club them to death. Bad lion. Those are my sheep. And someone, probably like some of you animal rights people are like, no, he should have caught them and released them. Catch and release. I'm like, spoken like someone who has never been attacked by a lion, right? Because if you get attacked by a bear, you're going to be like, it's on, right? I, Total victory is coming. David said, this has been my experience. I have already fought against enemies that should have overpowered me, but I witnessed God rescue me. Notice he didn't say, I kung fu kicked the lion with my superior fighting skills. He said, God rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear, and he's going to help me defeat this enemy as well. I want you to understand that what happened in your past God will use to prepare you for your future. Spiritually, God can turn your past into your platform. This is the third point. You can write this down. God can turn your past into your platform. The past things that you've experienced and the heartache that you've already gone through. In Romans, it says God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. That's you. If you love God, he will use your past, even the painful moments, even the most difficult moments, even the ugliest moments of your life, God can actually use for good. He can turn your past into your platform. David had a platform now, a platform of influence and confidence where he said, I've already fought lions and bears. I'm a giant slayer, no problem. It must be part of the package. If I can kill a lion, I can kill a giant. God's gonna be with me the same way that he was with me before. I feel confident. Look, you might have gone through some things. You might have faced some lions and bears in your past. Okay, I don't know what those are for you specifically. We've all got different experiences from our past, but God will use those experiences. 
He will use him for good. And it's not just so that you can have post-traumatic stress disorder. The world will say that's all you've got to hope for. Well, you went through some trauma, you're gonna have a disorder. God can take your past stress and trauma and use it in order to accomplish his purpose in your life. If you'll let him. What feels like just another problem, God will often use and turn into your platform, a platform of influence and authority. You'll be able to say like, David, I'm a lion killer. I'm a bear slayer. And spoiler, we, we love spoilers in our church. David would go on to become a giant killer as well. It became his platform. He became known amongst the people as the dude who kills the giant. The struggle that you're going through, God will use that to give you influence and to help equip you for what is before you. He will use your past. Like David became a lion killer and a giant slayer, God will use your past and you'll become an addiction overcomer. Someone who broke free from addiction and now leads other people into freedom. God will take your broken marriage and use it. And now I've seen many people who've gone through broken marriages or almost went through broken marriages now become bro uh, counselors for other people who are in marriage uh, straits of, of just difficulty. God has used their past for his purpose. I've seen people who were sick and they went through terrible sickness and disease and maybe even a lot of pain be healed by God. And so then God used their faith in God's healing power to pray for other people and pass that forward and be used by God. You might have grown up in a fatherless home, but God will use that past experience, I believe, to lift you up. And you could be a father who follows after God's own heart. You could raise up another generation of Christ followers. You might not have had the example you wish you had, but you can be that example to the kids that God has given you. He'll use your past. You might have gone through bankruptcy, but you'll be able to show people how God blesses you even when ends don't meet and lead other people into financial freedom. The prodigal son that you've been praying for will become your testimony of God's perseverance and faithfulness in your life. Your past can become the platform of influence where God will lift you up from the lowest, messiest places and set you up in a position of authority to fight from a favored position, a position of experience and righteousness. That's where we wanna fight from. So Saul hears this and in verse 38 it says, then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet and a coat of mail, David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then armed only with a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. I noticed that Saul did not exactly understand what was about to happen, right? He recognized that David was about to go out and fight this giant, but he did not understand that David was gonna be fighting under the power of God's spirit. So he tried to help. He tried to help by giving David, this teenage shepherd, his armor. He gave, here's my mail, here's my helmet, here's, here's the sword, maybe these things will help you. Maybe even Saul thought that by giving David his armor, he would symbolically be present in the fight. The fight that he should have been in as the king, amen? 
I don't know, but, but David wasn't having it. And, and if it was a Hollywood scene, he would have taken the armor and it would have been the montage, you know, doing push-ups like Rocky, getting ready for the fight, punching a bag. It's about to go down. But David was like, I don't need these things. I don't need your armor. I don't need your tools because the Lord is with me. Saul had lost the anointing of God on his life. But David had received this anointing. And so David had a confidence It just reminds us that people who don't have God's anointing on their life will not understand the calling on your life. They won't understand that God is the one who will equip you for what's before you. I've had people in my past when this church was getting started who did not exactly encourage me and said things like, that'll never work, right? They didn't understand that that God was calling me to do something. And and you'll experience things like that as well. David, David didn't, didn't have uh, this opportunity to be encouraged by Saul because Saul didn't understand. He just tried to give him this, his armor. And, and I think that if we're not careful, we could look to the wrong sources for help at times. It would have been so easy for David to maybe gain a false sense of confidence. Like now that I've got his armor, I'll be better off, right? And we can oftentimes, I think, draw too much confidence from strategy, from books, from mentors, from celebrities, instead of drawing our confidence from the right source, right? And it's okay to look to wise counselors and to read books. It's okay to go to friends and mentors and ask for advice. But at the end of the day, you have to do what you know God has called you to do. Listen, you can't wear and fight in Saul's armor. What worked for him might not work for you. You might have people in your life who try to tell you exactly how to do everything and deal with every situation, but what works for them might not work for you. You have to be willing to eat the meat and spit out the bones. You can take advice from different sources. You can get good little nuggets of wisdom from from books and stuff, but then be willing to be the person who God made you to be. God gave you specific gifts. He called you for a specific purpose. He has prepared you for what he's gonna lead you into. So even though other people might help you, you can't necessarily do it the way they would do it. You've gotta be willing to go your own way. David was willing to go into battle alone. He didn't have someone to follow after. He had to be a trailblazer. You might be called by God at some point in your life to step out and do something bold on your own, but you have to trust that God will go with you into that battle, that you don't need everyone else's help if God has given you what you need. I think that, that Saul probably should have been the one to fight that battle, right? I mean, when I think about a good king, I picture it being a king who leads the charge into battle. Like in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, when we read the end of the story and we see Jesus returning, he comes on a white horse with a sword. And the Bible says that the blood of his enemies will flow up to the leg on his robe. Like that's a king leading the charge into battle, amen? That's our king. And Saul, yeah, he was, he was afraid, and he was in the rear, and David was the one, the shepherd, who went to fight. Saul had the title of king, but David had the heart of a king, right? And, and you might not have titles or accolades yet, but you can have the heart of a king. Saul had the armor of a king, but David had the anointing of the king, didn't he? Right, he was able to do under God's anointing what Saul couldn't do with the best armor, right? If God's anointing is upon your life, if God's spirit is living within you, and if you're a follower of Jesus, he is, then God's already equipped you with everything you need 
for the battle before you. You have to watch out. You have to watch out for being a person who has a title but doesn't take action. A lot of, a lot of men are fathers in title only. They're a father with biological offspring, but they don't father in action, right? We have to watch out for that. We have to watch out, we have to watch out for, for potentially being a Christian in title, but not in action, right? I don't wanna just have the title. I wanna take action that God has called me to. If you allow fear to creep into your life, it will keep you out of the fight. The enemy wants to keep you out of the fight. The enemy knows that if you get started, it will not go well for him. David knew he did not need Saul's armor because he knew who he was. And this is the fourth and final principle if you're taking notes. Know who you are and whose you are. You have to know who you are and whose you are. You are a child of God. You are called and redeemed through Jesus. You have unique gifts and you need to know whose you are. You belong to the king. You fight this battle on behalf of the king of kings. David, he was willing to go into this fight because he knew who he was and he knew whose he was. He knew both, right? He had, he had that full picture of understanding. And if you'll understand those things, if you'll have that on lockdown inside your heart, nothing will phase you, honestly. You'll be able to deal with whatever comes, because even in the scariest storm, you know, man, I know who I am, I know whose I am. I know I'm, I know I'm not alone, I know God's in control. David, he went into that fight pretty boldly. He went in there, I, I would have been worried about him, bro, maybe you should think about this. Is your life insurance policy paid up? Like, uh, are, all you, are you sure you wanna fight? But he just charged into this battle. He charged in, he went into the battle like someone who knew he was gonna win. He almost looks like he knew he was gonna win that fight. See, your enemy looks a lot different when you know you're gonna win the fight. David might not have had the muscular development of a full-grown man, but he had received the Spirit of God on his life and God's anointing. He knew that the fight was fixed, that God was with him. And as he was going into battle, charging towards Goliath, Goliath called out and started mocking David. And he was like, what is this, this boy? This boy's come out here to fight me. He's like laughing, like, oh, 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 right? And here's what David says. David replied to Goliath, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defy. He put it all back in the proper perspective. Right? Goliath started out saying, you're just a servant of Saul. He heard from King Saul, you're just a boy. But David knew, I'm not just a servant of Saul. I'm not just a boy. And I'm not here because I'm full of myself. I'm a child of God and I'm full of the spirit of God. And he is going to fight my battles because he goes before me. David did not back down because he knew, he knew who he was and he knew, he knew, he knew who he's, whose he was. That's what I was trying to say. That's what I was trying to say. Right? And if you'll know that truth, Man, God will give you courage. And I think as a church, we have to have courage to go into the fight. We have to have boldness to go towards the enemy, even when other people shrink back and they're terrified and shaken. We as God's people have to be willing to dive in to the messiest, darkest places and bring the light of Jesus to the world, knowing that the victory is already ours, amen? Come on, God is faithful and he will be with you in every situation. God will stand up for you if you'll stand up for him. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads.
Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness and your favor. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, we receive it. We receive it. If you're here today and you want to take the step of faith to give your life to Jesus, to surrender to him, you can take that today, that step of faith, and, and, and become a child of God. You can know with confidence who you are and whose you are. You can know I'm redeemed and forgiven. I, I might have made mistakes and sinned in my past, but you can know that you're forgiven and made righteous through Jesus. You can know where eternity is gonna take you if you've given your life to Jesus. You can know that there's hope in every situation. And many people have taken this step already today, and maybe this is your day to give your life to him. Maybe you didn't come to church planning on being saved from your sins and receiving the blessings of God, but those blessings are available to you. Forgiveness is available to you. So I wanna just lead you in that moment of prayer. And if you are ready to give your life to God, to be forgiven, and to know you're saved, then pray this prayer with me. Say, God, I know that I've sinned, and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is your son, that he died on the cross to pay the price for my sins, and that he rose again, giving me victory over death. Lord, thank you for that gift of eternal life. Thank you for loving me, even when I didn't deserve it. Help me to follow you for the rest of my days and serve you with everything that I've got. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God is good, right? Let's stand to our feet at this time. We've gotta take a moment to celebrate and give God praise, because we do have the victory. First, we gotta celebrate. If anyone just prayed that prayer and accepted Jesus, not gonna embarrass you, but just wanna celebrate with you. So if you pray that prayer, be bold. I'm gonna count to three and invite you just to shoot your hand up if you prayed and accepted Jesus right now. One, God loves you. Two, welcome to victory. Three, just shoot your hand up if that's you. Awesome, you guys, so good, so good. The whole row, amazing, awesome, thank you. That's so great. God is so faithful, isn't he? His love is never ending. We can have confidence in every situation knowing that he's in control and that we're not alone. So let's give God praise today. If we'll worship God today, he will go with us out into this week and prepare us for everything that we'll face. He'll bring joy into the midst of sorrow. We can do it. Let's lift him up and sing. Come on.